You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It is Monday, August the 16th, and thank you very much to Tom Stanley for all his very hard work last week while I was taking a much-needed break. This indeed is the first time this show has come to you from TW11 for three weeks, because I was in Salford for a couple of weeks on Olympic duty before that. Big breaking news this morning as we embark on Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival Week at York is that St Mark's Basilica will not run in the Judmont International. A small injury waits for the Irish champion stakes. In comes love who was the heroine of the Yorkshire Oaks at this fixture last year for the same stable, Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore. He's had a busy weekend because he's been in Chicago riding uh, Santa Barbara in the Beverly D at the final Arlington Million meeting. He was also in France yesterday riding Order of Australia in that pulsating pre-Jacques Lamaroua between Palace Pier and Poetic Flair. Reflections on that shortly. I'll be also speaking to Bjorn Nielsen, owner of Stradivarius, later in the show where he tells me it's not at all impossible that Stradivarius will race on as an eight-year-old. But back to the news at hand, back to the big breaking story. St Mark's Basilica out of the Judmont International. David Yates, Daily Mirror's newsboy, is with me now. Dave, that is a shame, but no mean substitute in love. No, not a bad replacement, but not St. Mark's Basilica. Uh, I think that as regards Love's four-year-old campaign, we had to say that the, the victory at Royal Ascot was gritty, but it wasn't spectacular. She was beaten at Ascot in the King George, where she was behind Mishriff. And so she's a worthy substitute, but she's not St. Mark's because you know he's been he's been certainly Bally Doyle's outstanding three-year-old cult this season and he's been one of the stars of the campaign with what he's achieved and so it's a it's a big blow to the race obviously this this strengthens the claims of the likes of Misriff and an alcohol free too and so yeah it's it's very disappointing news you know we've been looking forward to a stellar week at the Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival and St. Mark's Basilica was, was one of the headline stars, so his absence is obviously a big blow. But it could yet be that Love emerges as one of the m- most important horses for, for Bally Doyle in, in 2021, which is the way she, she began the season, but exploits subsequently of Snowfall and St. Mark's Basilica and others have rather put her, put her in the shade. Yes, yeah, so that just shows how the, 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 the tiles move at Bally Doyle quicker than any other stable that I've ever known, you know, that they've they've got so many good horses there that it it only needs uh, a couple to emerge and one maybe to to slip back slightly. And maybe that's being very harsh to love in suggesting that she's done that. But uh, the the exploits of Snowfall this season, and as you say, we we didn't really think of St. Mark's Basilica as one of the star milers uh, at the end of his two-year-old campaign. So... But that's just how things happen at Bally Doyle. Those two horses have taken uh, enormous strides at three, and perhaps Love has plateaued. We'll see. Things things didn't really go to plan at Ascot in the King George. Afterwards, I remember Marcus Townend, uh, Captain Heath of the Daily Mail, said, 
Aiden things didn't really go to plan and 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 Aiden O'Brien gave him one of those looks uh, that uh, that that he he can give on occasion and then smiled and said you know th- that's racing but certainly things didn't go to plan at Ascot uh, we hope and well I think we know that love is better than that we'll see how she fares on Wednesday and she's got proven form on the track. It will turn it into a different race tactically somewhat as well, you would have thought, given the fact that they were wanting to maximise her proven stamina credentials. So some Mars Basilica out and love in to the Judmont International. That's the big news to start off the day. So on to yesterday at Deauville and the Prix-Jacques-Lamarois, where uh, Palace Pier remained unbeaten this season. Three consecutive Group 1s and his fifth in total. He defeated Poetic Flair by a relatively narrow margin, pair clear of Order of Australia. Poetic Flair battling all the way to the line. It was a pulsating race to watch. Dave, what did you think of it? Well, it was an absolutely stirring race, wasn't it? I mean, we were supposed to see these two, of course, in the Sussex Stakes, but... Palace Pier had that blood disorder that kept him away from the Qatar Goodwood Festival. But when it did arrive, the clash certainly lived up to its billing. Um, I thought, Nick, that there were shades in this of the QE2 of 2000 between Observatory and Giants Causeway. John Gosden, of course, uh, the trainer of Palace Pier, uh, was also behind the defeat of Giants Causeway that day. The Iron Horse uh, NLD listeners will remember he was going for his sixth Group 1 race, uh, Group 1 victory on the spin. And Kevin Darley kept Observatory out of Giants Causeway's eyeline at Ascot and won the race by half a length and denied Giants Causeway uh, that sixth Group 1 triumph. And I thought there was a, an element of that yesterday. Just I, I felt that one could almost see the cogs whirring in Poetic Flair's head, uh, if that's not overdoing it, that when when he saw Poetic Flair, he fought like a tiger, as you would expect uh, from a horse trained by Jim Bolger. In the end, there was a neck between them. He's just looking at the market for the, uh, the, the QE2 at... Ascot on Champions Day in October. Palace Pier heads that at two to one. Baid is five to two, of course, the emerging talent of William Haggis's. And Poetic Flair is set, can be backed at seven to one. Now, I, 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 that surely must be that, A, the bookmakers don't believe that Poetic Flair will go to Ascot, uh, or B, that, um, that if he does go, that he won't get good ground there. Or C, that they are buying the idea that Palace Pier, as John Gosden said, was only 80% fit, quickened up very smartly, despite being part right on the outside, and he will make the commensurate progression as a, as a as straighter horse in the QE2 and will comfortably confirm his superiority. Yeah, I, I think we've got to talk numbers here, haven't we? This 80% business. Um, I'm not quite sure about that, and and I know listeners will say, well, how many horses have you trained exactly? And the precise answer to that as everybody knows is zero but um i know that when enable beat sea of class in the arc a couple a few years ago now uh, john gosden said that she was only 80 percent fit in in palace pierce case of course he had this blood disorder and, and according to the trainer was was really pretty ill uh, before coming back to win yesterday i i would like in the can i can i request um a an expert to come on the nld in future weeks and that is uh perhaps a um 
a, a veterinary, an equine veterinary expert who can tell us whether that 80% figure is realistic or not. And I don't think that, I don't think that William Haggis was too impressed at the time that, uh, that Enable was, was said to be merely 80% fit after the arc. I, I imagine there might have been a few hackles raised uh, in the Kulkarlan area of Ireland uh, yesterday afternoon. But um, that's maybe one for the future. I think, as you say, the uh, Palace Pierce target on Champions Day is unclear, that John Gosden is, is very much of the mind that they would like to tackle 10 furlongs with this horse at some point. But I'd love to let's let's leave Baid out of it just for one moment. But I would love to see a clash uh, between Palace Pier and Poetic Flair again. The 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 odds yesterday were pretty much as they would have been in the Sussex Stakes, um, around four to six Palace Pier and around three to one Poetic Flair. I think that if they were to meet again and if they were to meet on ground that was good, I. I I think that Poetic Flair would almost be favourite. Okay, so all of today's news and a lot of what came out of yesterday has a significant bearing on the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings, which we normally feature every Friday and we will do toward the back end of this week. But I wanted to bring James Willoughby in very briefly. Mark's Basilica's right up there at the moment at three. That's right, isn't it, James? That's correct, Nick, yeah. Uh, Palace Pier yesterday's winner cementing his place at one. Poetic Flair is going to move up off the back of that, no doubt. Alcohol Free, who does still run this week, is at 22. And Love, of course, who is a surprise entry back into the international. She's been slipping out of the top 10, which was her natural home last year. Indeed, she was in the top four or five for much of it. So we've got a crucial few days ahead, a crucial day just gone. Uh, can Palace Pier rest easy? Can he rest on his laurels now a little bit? Yes, he can for now. It's the three-year-olds, really, that are a major threat to eclipse him at the top of the TRC global rankings. Um, but there is some, the major news angle from our perspective on St. Mark's Basilica's absence is that Love, who currently sits at number 15, could be a major beneficiary here. Because were Love to win the international stakes defeating Mishrif, who's currently our world number eight, and imagine if you were to do this in some style. The status of Mishrith is so important to the whole classification because of all the different form lines that radiate from him. If, and if Love were to beat him comprehensively, well, Nick, you'd have to be a top five. Uh, well, thoroughbred, it, it, it's quite obvious. Mishrith is that good and he's that consistent. Not the only race really where we've not seen him at his best was at Ascot last year where the ground was so bad or near his best was so bad that that could excuse a number of horses. So, yeah, the, the, the news angle here is that all eyes are on love, really, and a big, big performance is expected uh, from here at uh, thoroughbredracing.com. Yeah, I, I just fancy that, that everything could set up nicely for her, uh, given how effective she was on the track last year. I mentioned to Dave just a moment ago that it's likely to be a very different race tactically to the one it would have been had St. Mark's Basilica been the number one Bally Doyle hope, I would have thought. That's right. It behoves uh, Bally Doyle to make this a real test at a mile and a quarter. St. Mark's Basilica being a speed horse and loves King George. When you watch it and re-watch it, 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 it's, it was disappointing at the time, but she really kept on strongly in the wake of Adayar and Mishrith. And, um, well, you could argue that, you know, she'd made a belated come back you could argue that she probably still needed that race and so i think she could step up even on that form 
And I think she is a major threat to Mishrif in this race. I really strongly fancy her. And just to, uh, to touch on one or two of the other horses we're likely to see with, with sort of rankings uh, rise potential this week. I mean, Stradivarius could go back up. They're going to talk to his, his owner, Bjorn Nielsen, in a moment. Sueza is the leading European sprinter by some way in these classifications now. And Snowfall, of course, is looking to get her way into the top 10 if she routes her field in the Yorkshire Oaks. Yeah, this meeting is just continuing what we've seen. I think this is one of the best flat seasons of my lifetime just because there's so much strength in depth, so many horses who have an upward trajectory, and a lot of them will be on the Knavesmire um, this week. And it's very exciting. And as far as fast rises are concerned, Nick, I have got to put in a strong mention here for Santa Barbara. What a performance we saw from her in the Beverly D stakes. And he was defeating horses that we regularly rate around the 111 to 114 range there. And she did so in such style. She's going to be a huge mover. And, well, she's belatedly confirming everything that Aidan O'Brien said about her. She could be another one to join the party eventually in the top 10 of what is a tremendous season. Uh, James Willoughby there. James will be back on Friday. Looking forward to that. Uh, racing at York this week is going to have a significant bearing on the Trainers' Championship because the prize money is very good throughout the week. Andrew Balding has chiselled his way to a pretty significant lead now, Dave. Yes, he has. I remember uh, the last couple of days of uh, Glorious Goodwood, the Qatar Goodwood Festival, a couple of press room colleagues were writing about this Andrew Balding, the the uh, King's Clear challenge for the trainer's title. And, and, and I sniffed at it a bit. I was like, what, really? Are, are you writing about that? You know, is that going to happen? I didn't think it was at the time, but two weeks on, the, the lead has extended to, to 341,000 over Charlie Appleby. It's 700 grand to Aidan O'Brien. Within 900 grand of Andrew Balding are Mark Johnston in fourth, Richard Hannon fifth, and Jonathan Gosden in sixth. So um, the, the trainer's title is not something that normally stirs the blood or the destination of it. But this year, I think that could be different. It, if... For example, we've got a quarter of a million up for the Yorkshire Oaks, so that'll probably go to Ballydoyle with Snowfall. The international is very interesting, isn't it? Because the absence of St Mark's Basilica does enhance the claim of alcohol-free on that race for all that love is also there now uh, in St Mark's Basilica's stead. That carries a purse of over half a mil uh, to the winner, so that's a big race. Will we see St. Mark's, will we see, is it more likely we'll see him on Kipco Champions Day as a result of uh, his absence at York? Well, possibly, but we might have seen him there anyway. Gosden will obviously have a, a strong squad for Ascot in October, as will Bally Doyle. So it's interesting, but we sort of think of, or I've been thinking of of Andrew Baldings as a, as a sort of one-horse team, that it's alcohol-free and no one else but but that's manifestly wrong because although there might not be a, a a clutch of group one winners in the stable as there are at charlie appleby's aiden o'brien's and john and thady gosden there are there are loads of horses a, a couple of rungs beneath that who are routinely sweeping up big prizes and, and group prizes at the moment hence the fact that balding has managed to extend his lead so as i say it's not something that normally gets my heart racing uh, but that might change in the final months of 2021 well the point about york this week is that there are so many highlights it's difficult to know where to start but at every big festival now 
we have come to mention Stradivarius and when he's no longer racing it'll be very strange that that he's not there here he is again Friday in the Weatherby's Hamilton Lonsdale Cup a race that's had enormous historical significance for him and us over the last few years his owner Bjorn Nielsen is with me now Bjorn if indeed that air of invincibility has gone there is still something very special about Stradivarius at this point in his career sort of twilight of his career how much are you still enjoying the journey Oh, very much so. Uh, you know, he's just been—he's been, he's been a, a great friend over the years. Obviously, for the last four or five years, and um, I was—I can say it now, and I never said it before, really, because he is coming towards the end. But you know, he's—he's he's never ever missed a single engagement, um, except for you know the the, the race at Goodwood. And that was because we pulled him out because of the heavy ground, um, and. Um, you know, our feeling is that he hasn't lost um, at this stage. He still is showing all the enthusiasm and he hasn't lost. Um, he's not showing signs of losing his, his um, um, ability. Um, at home, he's the same horse. He's up for it. He's full of it. And um, he's been working very well. And, you know, we're very we're looking forward to running him on, on Friday. It's kind of a neat symmetry, really, because the first time he ran in a Lonsdale Cup, he was running for the million-pound bonus, which he then he then did again. And before Weatherby's Hamilton launched the million-pound bonus, everyone said, well, it's pretty impossible. I don't even know why they're bothering. And, of course, the first season came and smashed it out of the park and then went round and did it again, and then they couldn't insure it. So it sort of puts into context what he achieved, really. Well, you know, when he was doing it, it didn't seem... You know, he, he was just a winning machine and it, it didn't seem that difficult. But, you know, when you actually look at it now, you know, even if you've got the horse with the, all the ability to, to win those races, the things that can happen, I mean, for instance, last year we had COVID, so if it had been last year, it never would have happened. And, you know, this year we had, you know, the bog-heavy ground at, uh, at um, Goodwood and, you know, maybe he would have got beaten. So... We didn't run into those things in those two years, and it was actually sort of for me. I, I sometimes think to myself, "Well, who woke up in the middle of the night and decided that you know what we should have a million-pound bonus for winning these for winning these four races for the next two years?" And he happened to turn up in those two years. It's it's actually an amazing coincidence. And I know that it was always ambition of yours to see if he could he could cut it against those those best horses at a mile and a half given that really the only opportunity he had to to really strut his stuff at that distance was in the arc last year where it turned into sort of an unraceable or his run on unraceable ground um do, do you sort of feel like there was an opportunity that's been missed in any way well i do you know i know there was some confidence behind him um, you know, beating another horse that I'm not going to mention um, um, on that day, but you know the ground was so bad, uh, uh, you know, at um, at Longchamp, and it was so bad again when he when we mistakenly ran him in, on Champions Day, and you know through his career he's 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 run into actually he's run into soft or soft side of good ground an amazing amount of time, but you know. Um, um, you know, York has always been friendly to us in terms of it's always been good, good to firm ground. And, you know, yeah, do I think he could drop back to a mile and a half? You know, he ran that in the pre-foil last year and he got short-headed or nosed by uh, Anthony Van Dyke and they just sprinted really for the last two or three furlongs, um, the two of them. 
and we started the length down. And you know, his times, you see, his times are the things, his times of the final three furlongs in a lot of his races are typically the fastest final three furlongs of the day. Even the year, you know, when Cracksman was sort of voted world champion and he won by seven lengths the champion stakes, you know, we ran a faster final three furlongs than he did by about five lengths, uh, and the same against Magical that day. So he has this tremendous turn of foot, um, and, you know, and he obviously, he stays. So, you know, it's, there's always been in the back of my mind the, the, the thought that, well, I know, I know how fast he is when he needs to be, um, and I'm sure he could do it over a mile and a half, and, you know, the enable was always there in those years, and we were always winning the staying races, so we sort of kept it at that until last year when we ran to the heavy ground, so it's kind of, we'll never know, I don't think, you know. Mm. And in terms of managing a horse's career like this, when they become public property, how much does it sort of increase that creative tension between the owner and the trainer? Um, no, not at all. John and I have always been absolutely on the same page. Um I mean, the only times we've dithered has been Champions Day, where every time I've sort of gone, oh, God, are you sure, John, we want to do this on this ground, you know? And, and you know, his, his record on, on, on Champions Day has been, I think he was won one and lost, maybe lost three, I'm not sure. But it has been the heavy ground that's been the thing, and the heavy, heavy autumn ground. But we've always been on the same page. We've never... You know, we've never uh, banged heads at all about where, what his targets are. And, you know, I, to be honest, I mean, hopefully he goes and wins on Friday and he shows exactly that he's exactly the horse he was still. And I can't tell you that we've got anything else lined up after that because we haven't talked about it. But, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it on, on the weekend, I suppose. Uh, do, is there a bit of you that... Is, it, is there a bit of you that wants him to retire on a win? Is, is that imperative for you? If he if he wins and you think, yeah, this this feels this feels like the right time. Well, it's actually going to be hard to do that because I've always said, um, you know, as long as he's showing the enthusiasm and he's still up for it, you know, he'll continue. So it's almost as if he's going to have to lose, but when he does lose and he has his conditions. I will, you know, draw stumps because he's not going to be like an old boxer who's who thinks he's still got it, even though he's got beaten a couple of times. He's I'm not going to go on with him once he gets beaten. If he gets beaten fair and square, um, you know, obviously we know what happened in the Gold Cup, and we like to think that um, a lot of things went against us that day. Um, but as long as he's showing it, he's he's still going to run. The odds are this will be his last year. Um, and certainly, if he if he ran and got beaten and there were no excuses, then I would call it a day. You know, I don't want him to go downhill. He's been he's been too good to us for too long. But it, but if he just kept on winning, if he wins now, there's no no subjectivist there. Trushan might need softer ground. If he just wins and then he goes and wins again, and then you think, well, there isn't really a stud that's going to cover a load of flat mares with him next year, and he hasn't got the opportunities I want. <laughs> would you just not go around again? Uh, there is a chance, Nick. There is certainly there is that chance. Um, I'm, I'm like I said, if he wins and wins again, and we say, okay, well that's it for the season. The odds are he he wouldn't retire. He'd go on if he's if he looks like he's still up for it as usual and he's he's winning. 
then he would potentially go around again, yeah. So um, let's see what happens, you know, let's see what happens. But he is, you know, at his age now, of course, it is very much a question. It's sort of like, you know, you watch the races now where before there was an expectation that, well, I can't see him getting beaten. And it's, it's not a case of somebody else beating if it's a case of whether he um you know whether he performs his ability because if he does he's going to win now it's become a sort of well he's seven and even though he hasn't shown signs at the moment that he's not as good as he was you know that can happen in any race now at his age it, it can happen and that's sort of what you're looking for all the time we're kind of hoping <laughs> it doesn't happen quite yet you know well, it's been an amazing journey bjorn thanks for sharing so much of it with me Okay, listen, it's a pleasure, and um, I'll see you, uh, maybe I'll see you on Friday. You certainly will. Thanks so much. Okay, Nick, take it easy. Well, the excitement for the Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival started many weeks ago, but we really are this week making it a, a focal point of our coverage here on the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. James Mason is the Chief Executive of Welcome to Yorkshire. Uh, James, for you, how important is, is this festival in terms of driving tourism and interest in the, in the White Rose County? It's a very, very big event for ourselves here at Welcome to Yorkshire, but also the whole population of Yorkshire in a normal year. In a normal year, we would expect 80,000 people plus to come through um, the race course, turnstiles, to visit York itself, the restaurants, the, the hotels, the bars, the restaurants, uh, all across York and North Yorkshire. But actually, this year, in particular, after a two-year hiatus, it's even more important to demonstrate confidence not just in horse racing, but in the event sector, and to really get people back doing what we all want to do best, which is uh, promote the county, promote horse racing, and promote Yorkshire as a place to come and visit. Have you had any early indicators in the brief time we've had since the 19th of July when the restrictions were, broadly speaking, lifted, as to the appetite for people in Yorkshire to get out and go racing, go to big sporting events? Yeah, there is there is a demonstrable appetite, and that has been seen with the the, the, the pickup on tickets for the Ebor Festival, but also Premier League football has been back this weekend, and football in the Championship, etc., across the leagues. But we've also got big big music events. The Leeds Festival is coming later this month. There's there's garden festivals, music, food and drink festivals all across the county, uh, which suggests that people want to get back to a sense of normality, whilst also appreciate appreciating that COVID hasn't gone away. We still have a pandemic, but at the same time, thanks to the um, vaccination rollout, people do feel more confident and they want to come and um, celebrate Yorkshire. That's people within the county, but then also we've seen a huge influx of people from across the uh, across the country, effectively, coming to Yorkshire and choosing it as a holiday destination in the absence of international travel. And you, you're in the business of you know promoting the county, promoting the county's leisure and sporting interests. To what extent have you had to combine that with a, with a real mindfulness as to the uh, the wider situation around you? Yeah, I think I think it's a double edged sword, isn't it? We want to promote Yorkshire as a safe place to come, but we don't want it to be the case whereby so many people come all at once that people in villages and the more rural towns or even city centres uh, feel afflicted by a huge surge of people. So there's always a balance, and whilst we still have um, a, a pandemic that hasn't gone away and may never go away in, in the purest sense of the form. We have to be careful that the more that people congregate in, in confined spaces, the hospitality areas, etc., there's always a challenge and there's always an optical challenge of people wanting to be in such areas as well. So we have to be mindful, but at the same time, 
um, there's some huge economic scars because of the pandemic. So we can't continue to just um, hide away from coronavirus. There's many businesses, um, especially in hospitality and events, that really need people back, their people, businesses. So in that respect, we've got to champion and celebrate that as well. We often talk about the, the proximity or lack of it of, of horse racing to, to the national psyche. In, in Yorkshire, I don't think there's much doubt how, how close horse racing is to the, to the psyche. For those who, who don't visit often, just, just give me your perspective on that. Well, this is a really interesting question, and I'm glad you've raised it. My background is in professional sport, predominantly in football, so I'm used to putting big events on. And it was the same in football. You're trying to attract an audience that's competing with other things that you can do on a Saturday or a Sunday. And what I mean by that is sometimes free events, whether it's going to the park, whether it's going um, out into the countryside, or whether it's going to the cinema or shopping. I went to York Racing about a month ago with uh, uh, my family, with two young children, close friend of mine they've got three young children and it was a family day out in the purest sense of the word adults were entertained uh, every now and then we may have had a, a slight drink to, uh, to to ease our saturday afternoon but the kids were loving it you know there's music on around the around the, the course seeing the horses and the jockeys up close was wonderful it's a pretty atmosphere to be in lots of space to roam around lots of food and drink and entertainment every hour so the kids were really entertained we were entertained as adults there's a long leisurely feel to it as opposed to a you know, football match where it's very much intense for 90 minutes so for me it's a perfect family day out and an affordable one at that as well and as far as the, the sport and its importance to the county as a whole is concerned, we know there's nine racecourses in, in Yorkshire. Uh, how much more important is that going to be through the next weeks and months? We're well aware that the horse racing industry is huge in Yorkshire. In fact, we're blessed, as you say, with nine wonderful, picturesque, beautiful, buoyant racecourses, all very different from the likes of Ebor to Catterick or Thursk, etc., up to Redka. Um, and in addition to that, as you mentioned, you know what, £300 million plus um, economic impact to the region every year. Um, and that just isn't people going to the races, that's people coming to the likes of York or Doncaster for weekends away. So they're not just visiting the race course, they're perhaps staying for music festivals or gigs, uh, going to the theatre, going to the cinema, staying in hotels, eating in restaurants, using public transport or taxis. So in that respect, anything that brings people to Yorkshire for a particular reason, whether that's sport, music, food, drink, we have to capitalise on that and get them to come earlier, to stay longer and to spend more. So we're well aware of the rich um, opportunity that we've got here with horse racing in Yorkshire. James, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the week. My pleasure. Bye-bye now. Well, thanks to James and thanks to all my guests today. David Yates is still with me from the Daily Mirror and Dave has a tip for you. Yes, we start the week in Yorkshire and indeed in North Yorkshire at Catterick Bridge, 255 race, Hatchet, a horse trained by Jenny Candlish, who's held his form commendably during high summer. Two starts ago was defeated by Mr. Strata, but he's three pounds better off for three parts of a length. Holly Doyle is on board for the first time here and I hope the combination can click. 255 race at Catterick Bridge. Selection is number eight, Hatchet. Mirror Man Performs Hatchet Job will be tomorrow's headline on the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. That was Monday the 16th of August. This is the Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival Week and we will see you all again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.